It has been said that the Bible is a book of history, law, wisdom, prophecy, and letters. And all of that is true. But the Bible is also a story. In fact, it is a love story. It tells the greatest love story ever told. Some folks even go so far as to summarize the story of the Bible like this. Kill the dragon, get the girl, rule the world. And in a nutshell, that is the true love story of the Bible. Today, I want to tap into that story and sketch out the ancient future love story of the church as the bride of Christ. I want you to see where the bride comes from, where she is now, and where she is going according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For our purposes today, the sermon passage we just heard will simply serve as the hinge upon which the rest of this sermon will turn. As St. Paul says, the mystery of this story is profound, but it refers to Christ and the church. When God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, he created a garden temple, a sanctuary. Then he created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God put them in the garden temple to live together and to build a family. When God gave the woman to the man, he instituted the ordinance of marriage, which is always and only between one man and one woman. Contrary to popular culture, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. There's same-sex mirage, but not marriage, by definition of what God gives us in his story that he is writing and revealing to the world. When God officiated the first wedding in human history, it was for one man and one woman who were made in the image and likeness of God. And what we see in not only the story of the scriptures, but in life itself, all weddings and all marriages that are true weddings and marriages take place between image bearers and no one else. So again, contrary to popular culture, there is no such thing as marriage between a woman and her cat or a man and his truck. There is only marriage between image bearers made in the image and likeness of God. When Adam saw Eve for the first time, he praised God and he sang what was undoubtedly the first R&B song ever recorded. At last, bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh, at last. And the two, the one woman and the one man, became one flesh. The first marriage contains the whole story of the Bible in shadow form. It's a sketch of what is to come. It revealed God the Father's desire and dream for his son. Like all fathers who love their sons... The father wanted his son to find a wife that would be good for him, a compatible and suitable helper. But things took a turn for the worst when the woman was seduced by the serpent and sinned. The story begins to take a turn downward when we see the bride fall from grace 
She's taken hostage and removed from the sanctuary and carried off into exile, death, and ruin. But the father refused to give up on his dream to provide a bride for his son, so he promised to send a savior into the world to redeem her. Time and time again, the father made attempts to ransom and rescue this woman. He sent various guardians and groomsmen to seek and save the one who was betrothed to his son. But it proved to be a dangerous and daunting task. And here's why. There were times in the bride's life when she was simply a hostage, helpless and harassed and treated like a lowly slave, She was mistreated by taskmasters, forced to do hard labor, to scratch out a living from nothing. Her life was spent in utter misery. There were other times when the bride was homeless. She drifted around from place to place looking for somewhere to live, someone to love and care for her. She wandered around the wastelands living on bread and water with no place to lay her head, no place to call her home. There were times when the bride was a harlot, lusty and loose. She lived like an adulterous woman who went looking for love in all the wrong places, who opened herself up to all sorts of troubles, a desperate woman who sold herself over and over again to many so-called lovers who actually hated and despised her. More often than not, she gave herself to the whims of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and did not hearken to the voice of the servants, the groomsmen, and the guardians that the father had sent to her. All that to say, when you look at the story, the history of the bride, you see that the bride is a hot mess with a troubled past and a salacious reputation. She was not a royal princess, not a paragon of virtue, not a saint by any stretch of imagination. She's not the kind of girl you'd want your daughter to be. She's not the kind of woman you'd want your son to marry. The record shows that she was the illegitimate daughter of gods and idols, a once abandoned baby that was found wallowing in the blood of her own birth, crying in the filth of a dumpster in a trash heap, a despised and rejected orphan girl struggling to survive in a cold, hard world. There were times when the Lord God was heartbroken over her slavery and situation, and there were times when he was hot with anger over her stubborn refusal to come home and to give her heart to him. But the father refused to give up on his dreams to provide a bride for his son. And not just any bride would do. Not just any bride would do. He wants this bride for his son. The hot mess with all the heavy baggage and the dirty track record, that is the bride he has chosen for his son. The one that looks and smells and acts like you and like me. So time and time again, he reminded this bride of his undying covenant, the promise to love her no matter what and to release her from all her sin and shame is echoed in the words of the prophet as God spoke to her again and said, 
I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. The Lord was not saying, I don't want you to speak. I don't want to hear from you ever again. He was saying, I don't want you to bring up your past and live in light of your past. I don't want your shame to shape you any longer. I want you to be shaped by my love and devotion to you. So time and time again, the father sent guardians and groomsmen to seek and to save the one who was betrothed to his son. And if you know the story, you know that they did all they could do to woo her back and to win her heart. But they came up short again and again. And so the father said, last of all, I'll send my son. I'll send my son. Surely she will listen to my son. And so from heaven, Jesus came and sought her. Jesus is the bridegroom in the story. He came into the world as God in the flesh to seek and save the bride who was betrothed to him, the bride that the father had chosen and arranged for him to marry. He had taken compassion on her and loved her and made her live and watched her grow and blossom. And when the time was right, God the father sent his son to make a covenant of love with that orphan girl and to take her into his heart as his lawfully wedded wife. And when Christ saw the bride which the Father had chosen for him, when he heard her story, and he saw who she was and where she had come from, and he learned about her background, and he saw her track record, he saw the wrinkles and the wounds in her life, he did not shriek with disgust, he did not avert his eyes. He did not look away in shame or embarrassment. He did not turn away in horror. For he knew that he had come into the world to take a wife of whoredom for himself. When he saw her, he loved her. When he saw her, he allured her with kindness. He brought her into the wilderness, outside the city of man, away from the public square, off of the corner, out of the red light district. And he spoke tenderly to her. He said, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my master. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. You shall no more be called forsaken. And your heart shall no more be called desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her. For I, the Lord, delight in you, and you shall be married to me. 
For as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Look, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. You have captivated my heart, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my bride. How much better is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your oils better than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Oh, oh my love. Oh, my darling. I hunger for your touch. I hunger for your touch. I need your love. I need your love. God speed your love to me. I love you with all my heart. You will find grace and mercy in the eyes of your beloved bridegroom. Not anger or rage, no guilt tripping or fear mongering. It'll be grace and love. Will you be mine? Oh, what a proposal Jesus makes to us, the bride. This is how God loved the world. He sent his only begotten son into the world to do what? Kill the dragon, get the girl, and rule the world. Now, I imagine that some of you at this point in the sermon are wondering, well, what does all this have to do with the church, with me, with Ephesians 5? This is not the sermon I was promised in the pro tip. But I want you to know that what St. Paul calls the church, the bride of Christ, he has in mind this whole ancient future story of the bride. He ties together all the threads and he tells the story of how Christ met the church, how he came into the world to love her and how despite their stormy relationship, Christ loves the bride with all of his heart. He loves the church with a special kind of love, a sacrificial love, a sacramental love, a sanctifying love, a sensual kind of love. And that's what we see in Ephesians 5 as Paul reminds us that Christ is the head of the church. That the church is the bride of Jesus. Jesus loves his bride with a sacrificial love. The scripture says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. No one else ever loved the church like Jesus does. No one else ever pitied the bride except Christ alone. No one else ever treated her as kindly and as gently as he does. No one else ever laid down their life for her sake. In love, she was called out and chosen by the Father for his Son, Jesus Christ. In our culture, we would say it's a prearranged marriage. In our denomination, we'd say it's a predestined marriage. In love, Jesus came into the world to take this woman, 
to be his wife. In other words, Jesus left his father's throne and his mother's house in order to cleave to his bride. And the two are becoming one in body and soul. He gave up his life for her. He laid down his life for her. He shed his blood to purchase her salvation, to purify her from sins and to pacify her shame. He set his love and affection on one bride and gave himself up for her. And he handed himself over to the curse of sin and death in her place. He laid down his life for the woman he loved. Jesus does not just love any and every girl that passes before his eyes. He loves his bride, the church. He does not lay down his life for just any and every damsel in distress. He gave up his flesh and his blood for his bride to save her from sin and death to set her free from the captivity of the devil. Jesus loves his bride with a sacramental love. The scripture says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. According to the apostles and prophets, Christ bathes his bride with water and washes away her filth and anoints her wounds with oil. Jesus baptizes his bride with fresh water and cleanses her sins with the gospel and anoints her heart with the Holy Spirit. As one theologian explained, we are members of Christ's body as much as a bride is part of her husband's flesh. Baptism is the wedding ceremony and after the wedding we are promised that Jesus will treat us as he treats himself because he loves us. As himself. So in baptism, Christ cleanses his bride and covers her nakedness with his robes. He covenants to take her as his wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day on till death do us part. Baptism is a sacrament whereby the bride is bound to the bridegroom, whereby the church is set apart for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loves his church with a sanctifying love. The scripture says that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Jesus has a vested interest in you and me, in the church. He's a vested interest in how we prepare for life to come, how we live in this world. As the prophet foresaw, Christ clothes the bride with embroidered cloth and covers her feet with fine leather shoes, and he wraps her in fine linen and covers her in silk. He adorns her with ornate jewelry and puts bracelets on her wrist and a chain around her neck. She's decorated with gold and silver. There's a ring in her nose and earrings in her ears and a beautiful crown on her head. He provides her with cosmetics to beautify herself and portions of food to get strong and healthy, servants to tend her and treat her well, to show her that she has 
absolutely no rivals in Jesus' heart. All that to say, Jesus dotes on his bride and treats her like a queen. He loves his bride with a love that sets her apart from all others. And he lavishes gifts of grace upon her for her glory, for her good. But it's also for his glory and his good. Jesus loves the bride with a sensual love. The scripture says that Christ nourishes and cherishes and loves the church as he loves himself, for she is his body. By sensual love, I do not mean he loves the church with a sexual love. I mean a love that is sensitive to meeting her every need. Her spiritual need, physical need, emotional need, you name the need, he wants to meet that need. Christ feeds and cares for his bride by providing her with grace and truth and the gospel. She's cherished by Christ and nourished with the word of God and the Lord's Supper. As the prophets foresaw, Christ will make sure that his bride eats fine flour and honey and oil. She is growing exceedingly beautiful and advancing to royalty, and her renown goes forth among the nations because of her radiant beauty, for it is being perfected through the splendor of the glory and grace of God through Christ as it is bestowed upon her. Jesus loves the bride with a sensual tangible kind of love. One example of this is seen every Lord's Day when we come to the table of the Lord, where Christ has prepared the table for us and invites us to share in his love feast with bread and wine as he prepares us for the ultimate marriage feast of the Lamb and the Bride. Christ gives his body and blood to us again and again to nourish us and cherish us and to love us because we are his bride. Every time we meet at the table, he renews covenant promises to us, reminds us of his love and says, my life for yours, my body for yours, my blood for yours, my love for yours. The bride of Christ is a hot mess. She was a hot mess. She is a hot mess, and until Jesus comes, she will be a hot mess. She is a hot mess, but she is Jesus's hot mess. And he loves her with all his heart. The question is, does such a hot mess have a future? She has a past, but does she have a future? Judging by reports, Blog posts, articles, new books published almost weekly. We get the impression that the bride of Christ has a very thin, faint future, if any at all. The emphasis is placed upon her demise and her decline. Look at how the church is changing. Look at how weak it's getting. Look at how many have gone away. Look how many are leaving Oh, the church is getting smaller. She is fading away. She is losing her influence. The bride of Christ is as nothing in the eyes of the world. Does she have a future? 
It's a question we need to ask as we consider ourselves as individuals, as congregations, as a denomination, and beyond our denomination. Does the bride of Christ have a future? I want to remind you that she is not what she will be. She is still prone to wonder and stray. She is still haunted by past trauma. She still has a bad reputation in many parts of the world. She still bears the scars of abuse and mistreatment. She still struggles with shame. She still gets cold feet as she's preparing for her wedding day. She still struggles to overcome temptations and sin. She still struggles to keep other lovers out of her heart, to keep her eyes fixed on Jesus, and to not be lured away. She still struggles to keep her ears attuned to his voice and not to the multitude of voices that clamor for her attention. She still struggles to see herself as worthy of the lavish and luxurious love of Jesus. She's still preparing for her wedding day, but some days are better than others. She still sees herself in light of her broken past and has great difficulty seeing herself in light of her beautiful future. Now, how do I know that? It's not because I've read books. It's because I know you. And because I know people like you. And because I know myself. I know what it's like to be the bride of Christ. And to feel the tension, the struggle of pursuing him every day. Does the bride of Christ have a future? And the answer is yes. Although you might not see it as clearly as you would like, although it might be obscured by our own experience, the bride of Christ does have a future. And if you will bear with me for just a moment, I will show you a glimpse of what that future is. Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. A voice from the throne of grace will say, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, will cry out and say, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. And rise! For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made her ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous works of the saints. Then the angel will say, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And hard on the heels of these Messages and visions. There is the vision of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And she shall descend from heaven, adorned as a bride, and dwell on the great and high mountain of the Lord. And she will be decked in the glory of God. Her radiance shall shine like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. She will be well-founded and fortified. She will be faithful and fruitful, radiant and resplendent, without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. She will appear in this great and high place as holy, 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 just like her beloved bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when she appears, loud voices from the throne will shout, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And on that wedding day, at that marriage feast of Christ in the church, there will be nothing but smiles on our lips, and sparkles in our eyes, an abundant life in our bodies and souls, and joy and laughter and pleasures forevermore. For the old things have passed away, and the new things will have come. And all of you are invited to celebrate and participate, for the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. All of you are invited to celebrate and participate in the marriage feast of the Lamb. For the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give you thanks for your tender love in sending Jesus Christ to come among us, to be born of a human mother, to make the way of the cross to be the way of life. We thank you also for consecrating the union of man and woman in his name and holy matrimony. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask you to pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the union of Christ and the church. Defend us from every enemy. Lead us into all peace. Let our love for each other be a seal upon our hearts, a mantle around our shoulders, a crown upon our foreheads. Bless us in our work and in our companionship. Bless us in our resting and in our worship, in our joys and sorrows, in our struggles and victories, in life and in death. And in your mercy, bring us to your heavenly banquet where your saints feast forever and ever at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And finally, we ask that what God has joined together, let no man no devil, no angel, nothing in all creation put us under. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.